So Jasmine, what would you say drew you to Lionel Messi in the first place? I think what drew me to Messi is his story is such an example of how sports stories are about so much more than sports. Jasmine Garst is an Argentine-American journalist and the host of The Last Cup, a podcast entirely about one of the most famous people in the world, Leo Messi, arguably the greatest soccer player who has ever lived, the guy who has taken Argentina all the way to Sunday's World Cup final. Messi was a kid who had to leave the country because of an economic collapse and a social collapse. Jasmine investigated how Messi left their homeland at just 12 years old, to move to Spain and join FC Barcelona, a complete powerhouse in European soccer. He's breaking records. He's becoming the GOAT. Alba inside. It's Messi! Oh! The medicine man arrives! Astonishing from Messi! And he is jumping Jack Flash! And the whole time, he has this nostalgia. He's like yearning to go back home and be a hero back home. And so essentially, you know, Messi's story, it's an immigration story, and it's a story of, of a nation's collapse. Which is all to say that this is the story of a person who has been fighting desperately for acceptance from the country he represents, while repeatedly failing to win the thing that matters most. It was really hard to watch. People disliked Messi. Like, why are you volunteering for this constant humiliation? So today, ahead of Sunday's World Cup final, we bring you the story of Leo Messi. And then we bring you the voice of another Argentine legend. Andres Cantor. A broadcaster who has also been waiting for this moment his entire life. This will be Messi's last dance. Messi always will try to lift the trophy. And if not, France will become champions again. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, December 16th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So Jasmine Garst, you have spent all of this time reporting out the story of Leo Messi. And something that I just didn't fully appreciate admittedly, was that even though he is the most famous person you think of when you think of Argentina, with all due respect to uh, Pope Francis, of course, Messi has actually been an outsider to your home country for decades now. So why is that exactly? 
Well, I think, first of all, he was an outsider everywhere for a while, you know, because like I, Spain, the people in Spain I interviewed, they love him, but they don't see him as a Spaniard. They see him as an Argentine. And for a very long time, Argentine fans, they didn't see him as Argentine. They saw him as a kid who left Argentina and grew up with this very plush European life. I think there was an attitude of, well, who do you think you are? You know, you left and now you're coming back. And that fascinated me because as a news reporter, I've seen that over and over again in different communities, whether it's, you know, uh, Chicano and Mexican, New Yorican and Puerto Rican. Um, every community, I feel, has this tension between immigrants and the home country they left. Yes. You know, I think there was also a stylistic issue. Uh, when Messi arrives in Barca, he's like 12 or 13, and he plays a very South American style of soccer. He plays like what we call un potrero, you know, like a, like a, like a dirt field kid. South American soccer has always been almost like, like comparable to jazz. Mm. Like it's very improvised, a bit individualistic. It's creative. And if we're going with that musical analogy, European soccer is almost like orchestral. Like it's very assembled. Yes. There's a plan. There's sheet Everyone music has their almost. Ro- yes. You know, and each side criticizes the other. Obviously, I'm South American. I think the jazz improvisation is like the magic, the trickery, you know? <laughs> but when he gets to Barca, there's a lot of conversations about, you're amazing, you're a genius, but you got to pass the ball. <laughs> you got to play as, as a team member. There's even fights about it. He adapts to the European style. And when he goes back to Argentina, like his first coaches on the national squad that I've spoken to say, yeah, he was great, but we were looking at him and we were like, whoa, Where's the punk rock? Where's the improvisation? (laughs) What's up with all this? Right, the art. What happened to the art? Right. And so he's really culturally, like the culture of sports, of soccer, he's stuck between two places for a very long time. And the criticism of the Argentina national squad for a very long time was that it was a group of superstars. They weren't a team because as we know, a group of superstars isn't a team. Mm. And that was like the big critique that it was a it was like just a group of individuals. But the precipitating event, the reason why Messi left Argentina and you, Jasmine, left Argentina, what was it? So Argentina, by the late 90s, early 2000s, was having one of its worst economic crises in history. I left as a teenager. And by the time I left, I left in 2002. Uh, there was something like 23% unemployment. Mm. It was really wild. It was just wild. And in 2001, there was like this complete uh, economic and political collapse. Uh, we had several presidents in the span of a month. It was it was really Man. a disaster. Messi leaves right before the collapse, but by all accounts, his family saw the writing on the wall. And they understood what they had on their hands, which is an incredibly talented kid who had a medical condition. 
And they understood that if they wanted him to make it, it wasn't going to happen. And this is, I think this is just like a story that has always really broken my heart. And I think, I think some of the resentment towards Messi came from that place of sadness, of not being able to have nurtured this child. And I think for a very long time, he was almost like a reminder of that, of that era. The medical condition, which has become a part of the lore yeah. in ways that are uh, haunting and also obviously pivotal in terms of the history of, of soccer. Yeah, what, what did they need that they couldn't get in Argentina because of the economic conditions? Messi, as brilliant as he was early on and around age nine, his family and trainers start to realize he's very small. He's physically very small. He's not growing like the other kids. He has a hormonal growth deficiency. And the treatment is expensive. You got to understand, I mean, Messi, his dad worked at a steel factory. His mom cleaned houses for additional income. Mm. And there's a lot of back and forth, uh, he said, she said, but essentially, this is a very expensive treatment. And what's wild is even Barca, there's a lot of doubt about whether to invest in him. Because they're <laughs> like, this kid is 12. We're going to... We're going to bring over a 12-year-old? This tiny 12-year-old who, by the way, it turns out, you know, needs a shot in all of the senses. He needs the opportunity, but also he needs an injection of what turns out to be human... Two. Two injections of human yeah. growth hormone. Right, two a day. He needs two human growth hormone injections a day. And so we're... Like, Barca was having a, its own crisis at the moment, like a political crisis in the club. And it was like, wait, you want to bring a 12-year-old from South America and his dad and pay for that and pay for his hormone treatment? Well, that payment, that investment, as you would call it before, it, it pays off more spectacularly than anybody could have possibly imagined, right? Because Messi grows up all the way to five foot seven on a good day, according to the records. And by the time he is a young adult living in Barcelona... He is also, simply put, one of the greatest talents the continent of Europe has ever seen. It's Messi. Oh, what it's a goal. magnificent. You are watching possibly the greatest footballer ever at the absolute peak of his powers. And the thing you really notice when you watch him is the way he manipulates and really controls the ball. He can move with it wherever he wants in ways that essentially nobody has ever done. And he absolutely did find ways to integrate that improvisation, that South American style that you alluded to before. Here's Messi. Away from two, three, four. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. How good is he? A near supernatural goal from Lionel Messi. He has wriggled and tiptoed his way to the gates of Wembley Stadium. But for you, as a fan of Argentina's national team, what was it like to watch him when he came back to Argentina, you know, every couple of years or so, to play for your country? It was a lot of years of suffering. For what, like, whatever reason, I, I mean, he wasn't well surrounded with the team. It was a team of individuals. It was... It was just mortifying to see him out on the field. Like he would have these kind of almost like emotional breakdowns on the field. Mm. Like 
they would be there would be infighting infighting like there's this one infamous game in 2011 against Colombia uh, La Copa America where the team is clearly fighting with each other and there's like rumors that there was a a showdown in the locker room Right. International play had always been this problem, and the World Cup specifically was always this enormous problem, right? I mean, 2010, I remember Messi did not score a single goal in five games, got humiliated by Germany. And then in 2014, I remember actually being there covering the World Cup final in Brazil against Germany again, and they lost again 1-0. It was really hard to watch. People either disliked Messi or, in my case, I always felt kind of bad for him. Like, why are you volunteering for this constant (laughs) humiliation? Mm. In 2016, after La Copa America, there's a final. He misses a penalty kick against Chile. Can Messi put Argentina in front? Argentina does not win La Copa America. At this point, it was like two decades of not winning La Copa America. And Messi quits the team. Yeah. He just comes out of the locker room. It's this very cinematic moment. He comes out of the locker room. He's like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm just done. Like, I I can't do this anymore. If you were to walk into, I guess, the Argentine equivalent of a barbershop, Jasmine. Sure. And people were talking about Messi um, in that time when criticism was consensus. (laughs) What were they saying? How would you describe the sorts of things that people would say? So there's a few phrases like uh, pecho frío means like a cold chest. Like he just, he doesn't feel it. He doesn't show up. Mm. He doesn't play with his heart. He's just kind of phoning it in. Um, He doesn't care. One of the coaches we interviewed says, you know, he would miss a goal, he would lose a ball, and it was like nothing had happened. He wouldn't fight with the ref. (laughs) We're a culture that soccer is our religion, and so you just play it, you know? Just play like there's no tomorrow. But the other problem in all of this is the fact that yesterday, as well as tomorrow, yesterday is is something that haunts the Argentinian <laughs> national team, right? Because yeah. the past is the story of Diego Maradona. And Diego Maradona, just to be very clear about this, is this specter, this larger-than-life superhero almost, who helps explain all of the criticism, all of the reasons why people did not like Leo Messi, it feels like. And that shadow continues to cast this enormous pall over everything he does. Enormous. I mean, Maradona is a almost religious figure in Argentina. Um, but you, I think Maradona represented more than soccer, right? I mean, Maradona yes. was an extremely poor kid from the slums. He wins a game against England after we had lost a war against England. Yes, the Falklands War, which preceded that 86 World Cup semifinal you're talking about, where Argentina and Maradona would then go on to win the entire thing. And we had just finished a brutal dictatorship. And that here comes this kid. Even after the World Cup, he was a guy who got very, he was very political. 
He was like kind of like this Robin Hood figure. Messi just wants to play soccer. Messi wants to play soccer. He's but not Maradona, like this political figure. Ma- but Maradona Ma- was like a rock star. He was right. Like, like a populist, also, a populist icon. Well, he also belongs to this era of the sports star who is like has no PR person. Yes. He says whatever he wants to say. He shows up in a in a like in a fur jacket. Who knows what he's going to say at a press conference? And I think now we're in an era of a very polished, media savvy, media trained sports star. Completely. Maradona belongs to that very soccer as punk rock era. Yeah, Messi, in contrast, is is kept behind locked doors. Well, I was even seeing, you know, some people are upset because he said, um, que mira, bobo, um, to the ne- that Netherlands player. Like, Messi what are you did, yeah. At? Yeah, what are you looking at, fool? And I'm like, it, I don't know. <laughs> It seems pretty lukewarm to say, what are you looking at, fool? That doesn't crack the list of the top 5,000 things Maradona has done, which would be qualified as controversial. I mean, we had some debates about like this one Maradona pep talk and whether we could even put it in. Well, explain, explain it, explain it in your words then. Yeah. It's when he was coach for the World Cup. He's coaching Messi. Maradona starts screaming like, we're going to talk on the field. Let's go eat their assholes. <laughs> and Messi, like, he keeps screaming this, and Messi is, like, looking down at the floor, like, you know, kind of like <laughs> this, like, kid and his, like, very histrionic dad is there. And it's it's very humorous, except that, of course, that World Cup was a disaster. We spoke to one of his trainers, who after that cup finds Messi like in a fetal position Mm. in the locker room, just like howling and screaming and crying. And the thing is, I don't think people always understood how much it broke him, how much it broke his heart that he couldn't deliver for his own people. This like, this broke him. The simultaneous reputation on the field of being invulnerable like arguably the best we've ever seen, but also somebody who was crippled with the burden, the pressure of needing to, yeah, surpass, transcend all of the things that you're describing. Well, I think that also like Messi and Maradona had really different personalities. And this is the problem when you can only allow for like one God Mm. in a sport or any arena. You know, people are really different. Maradona was like this very tough, slick-talking kid from the city slums. Messi comes from a rural province. He's like a very reserved guy. He's not the kind of guy that's going to like talk trash before a game. He's like very respectful. He's just more mild-mannered. He's just a different kind of athlete. Yeah. And both, I think both are like entertaining and valid. Like I... I loved watching like a good Maradona fight, you know? He was like a, <laughs> almost like a boxer in the, yeah, in, in the way he would like trash talk. But in terms of the fight that Messi has been trying to win, the fight for the hearts and minds of Argentinians, it does feel like a big part of the reason we're talking right now is that things have changed some on that front. I think of the Copa America 
essentially a South America soccer championship that Messi and the national team won last year in this huge upset of Brazil. Looking long, Di Maria got in behind. It's a mistake by the defense. Di Maria, a little chip, and he scores on Hamilton Di Maria. Argentina have done it. Messi has done it. They have won the Copa America. And so now here they are on this run that has gotten them to another World Cup final. But as you said before, in, in this culture, in this sport, there can only be one God. And so is that the question that Sunday is really trying to answer here? Is this going to settle this religious Messi versus Maradona debate finally? I think that, I don't know. There might be an opening for two. You know, Maradona, has a, he passed away recently. And I think there's a sense of, at least on Earth, you know, a human soccer god. Messi, I think that he has truly been allowed to enter the pantheon of Argentine soccer gods. And it would be lovely for him to win a World Cup. But I think that victory, he's a, he's achieved it. It's almost like Diego Maradona was mythologized, like he's myth. With Messi, I think what happened is we've seen him as more than just a sports machine. He's a, he's a person, and he's a person who, who loves us and wants to come back home. People don't want to win the cup for Argentina. They want to win it for him. And I think that victory has been achieved no matter what happens uh, during the final. Jasmine Gars, thank you for uh, telling us about uh, your home country. This was so much fun. Thank you. After the break, this guy. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time, or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. 
Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So Leo Messi has been a professional pretty much his entire life. And the same happens to be true of our next guest. And even if you are not a soccer fan by any definition, I do have a feeling that you'll recognize his work. That is the almost physically inimitable instrument of Andres Cantor, a native of Argentina, now 59 years old, who has been calling matches in Spanish since the late 80s. He is now in the midst of World Cup number 12. And so he asked if he had just a little time before he calls the final for Telemundo on Sunday to talk to us from Qatar. Andres, thank you so much for joining us, man. Where are we finding you right now? Can you describe the room around you? What's going on? I'm uh, in the hotel room by the marina in Deep Pearl, one of the nicest parts of this beautiful city. I got to say, it is 5.31 a.m. Eastern, where I am in New York. And just hearing your voice, Andres, has awakened me. It's really good to have you on the show. You're a legend, man. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. It, it seems to be 5.30 a.m. here as well because we live in, in crazy times here. We don't go to sleep until about the time you guys wake up. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's really fun. You were on the call on Tuesday for Argentina's semifinal against Croatia, this 3-0 win for Argentina. And your call on the third goal, which came off of this incredible assist from Lionel Messi. What did you see from Messi on that play, Andres? I think pretty much what I described on the on the play-by-play. The translation would be, he took him out to dance. He turned Guardiola one way and then sprinted the other way and went for the path with his right foot. It was an epic Messi moves. And, you know, the rhythm of the play-by-play was perfect because of the way Messi was moving on the ball, off the ball, and then going for the assist to Julian Alvarez. So it had every ingredient for 
a very nice ending to a beautiful play and a beautiful goal. I understand that you need to call games evenly and fairly, but I imagine, and I've noticed, um, watching you call these Argentina games, that this seems personal to you in ways that I imagine are impossible to ignore, right? I mean, you were born in Argentina, you moved to the U.S. when you were a teen. So what does this all feel like for you? I'm on record in every World Cup, every four years, you know, the question gets asked and I always answer the same thing. I would be a hypocrite if I tell you I don't want Argentina to win this thing. <laughs> you know, I try to be as calm, cool, and collected and professional as I always have been. I mean, the other day when the Netherlands tied Argentina in the last play of the match, you can replay that goal and see how it came out with obviously the importance that it merited. Even though, you know, inside I was burning in anger because the game had escaped Argentina. So if France becomes world champions and they beat Argentina, the audience can rest assured that the professional in me will do the play-by-play with the same professionalism as I have done all the others. You know, I have an extra note perhaps for for Argentina when they played (laughs) somebody else. But, you know, regardless, I believe... All in all, you know, my, my goals have been fair to all. But hold on, the idea of an extra note. I mean, Andres, you already have the longest note, I think, pretty safely in the history of broadcasting. We actually clocked your longest goal call at this World Cup at 43 seconds long. The way you call a game is an actual institution unto itself at this point, which I know officially because you were also on The Simpsons. In choosing Homer Simpson, the World Cup has made its goal! Andres Contor, you know that is incorrect usage. I have no control! This job has taken its toll! But when did you first start doing this job in this particular way? Well, it started way back in February of 1987 when I got my first job in in television. I always said that I didn't invent anything. That is the way the gold call is called, especially when I grew up listening to the radio in Argentina. You know, I always said that I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time in 1994 and help popularized the the expression of goal. It took Sir Lawrence Olivier years on the stage to accomplish his final stature. But it has taken Andres Kenter just one word. Goal! 
Right. So 94 was when the World Cup came to America, which was also when I think a lot of the English speaking audience, myself included, heard you for the very first time. And so I think I have seen footage of how you deliver these calls. And just so the listener can fully picture all of it, it does look like you're holding on to both ears with your big headphones already on. And the sound, it seems to come from the very bottom of your soul. Well, it does. The, the, the reason I'm holding both my ears and the headset is because the acoustic in the stadiums here with 80,000 people are tremendously bad. You know, the not sound filters through the microphone. And if I don't hear myself, I will lose my voice and I will lose the vocal <laughs> immediately. And that is why you see, uh, you know, the videos or the photos that I'm holding both my ears on, on the headsets. And uh, that's the way it is. Well, I also want to note that the backdrop for that scene, that insanely loud scene, you're about to enter in person again, it stretches, in this case, all the way back to at least 1986, right? Because that is the last time Argentina won the World Cup, and they won it because of the other figure that Messi is effectively competing against still on Sunday. And so your scouting report, Andreas, on Leo Messi versus the late Diego Maradona, as someone who has covered them both, is what? They're different in the sense that they play the different, in different eras of, of football. Diego Maradona played in a much more permissive game where, you know, he got hit a lot. <laughs> now, somebody touches Messi on the shoulder and the referee will stop the game. Now we have VAR where everything is reviewed. If there's a foul, you know, for the younger audience, they should look up, you know, film of Maradona's game. They butchered him in every single game and he stood up and, and carried on his team to victory. I think Maradona, in, in my view, is the greatest of all times, principally because of that. Not only that, but he played in muddy fields. Uh, Maradona today, in the, you know, in the fields of play, would have been twice as great as he was. But there's no comparison. Messi is the greatest of his generation, is one of the greatest of all times. Obviously, as an Argentinian, just to have Maradona carry Argentina to two World Cup finals and Messi to two World Cup finals is, you know, unprecedented. Argentina has made the 1986 final and won it, made the 1990 final and lost it on a bogus penalty kick goal in the last minutes of the game, made the uh, 2014 final in Brazil and, and lost it in overtime. Right. And here we are again in 2022, and Messi has been part of those two. For an Argentinian fan, that is really a, a dream come true. I mean, I wonder if you could assess, you know, there's a certain popularity with Maradona that feels like it speaks to the way that he speaks to the soul of the country in ways that Messi has not in the same way? Well, because Diego was that much more outspoken. He, you know, he fought against the powers of, of world football, the powers of politics, and he became the voice of all Argentinians that, you know, struggle and, and wanted to, to have a, a better life. Messi is more subdued. His personality trait is totally different than Diego's was. 
but now he's speaking on on the on the pitch, and he has had a change of personality in the last game against the Netherlands, where he stood up to Van Gaal. He became very Maradona-like in that sense, uh, opposing Van Gaal and fighting with the Dutch players, etc. So, yeah, I think Argentinians in general appreciate this guy as the world superstar. He cannot walk any street in the world without being recognized, and uh, I think Argentinians really uh, appreciate the humility that this guy had. When you call this game on Sunday with the greatest player of all time title on the line for Messi, with so much more than that on the line for Argentina and your country, what do you think it's going to feel like for you to call a Leo Messi goal in a World Cup final in that way? What is it going to feel like? If I think ahead, and I think what I'm going to feel if Messi scores, I'm probably going to blow up my goal. So I don't want to think, I just want to live the moment. I've never in my life, in 42 years of broadcasting or or in this business, I have not prepared a single line Mm. or have thought ahead of time of what I'm going to say. Whatever comes out, from my mouth is totally spontaneous and I hope to keep it that way on Sunday. Andres Cantor, thank you for sharing your instrument with us on ESPN Daily. (laughs) Thank you for that. I hope uh, my instrument holds very strong on Sunday for a very good call of, of the final between Argentina and France. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andre Soto, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Tyrus Ray. Thank you for all of your hard work, Tyrus. Josh Bard, Jeff Weiner, Mike Hawk, John Galata, Patrick Hoffman, and Jackson Agelo. I'll talk to you Monday.